The Lord be with you. On All Saints Day, we remember those people in whom we have known Christ's love. And so today, I want to have someone else in this congregation tell a story about a saint in their life. I want to have Dorothy Nelson tell a story from 40 years ago. There she is, 40 years ago, with her husband, Dick, who is now one of the saints that we celebrate. And Dorothy is going to tell us the story of what happened when she first attended Faith Lutheran Church in 1983. So here we go. So we went to church. Carl introduced us as new members, prospects of new members. And at that time, they had coffee out on the patio. It was the old church at that time. So we went out there, and there wasn't one person that said, Good morning. And I says, Okay. So then the next Sunday, Dick says, Okay, let's try a different church. And I says, That's fine. So we went to the Baptist church. And they were calling me on the phone and asking me to do this and asking me if I'd go there and, and the whole bit. And then the third Sunday, we went back down to Pacifica for something with the kids. And then when we come back, Dick says, well, where do you want to go to church? And I said, well, let's try Faith Lutheran one more time. And I said, I told him, I said, if nobody comes up and speaks to us, I know this isn't where the Lord wants us. So he goes, all right. So we went to church and uh, we were standing there with our cup of coffee. I was drinking coffee at that time. And he said, um, well, it doesn't look like anybody's coming. I said, well, it must be not where the Lord wants us. And about that time, Ruby Kimishu come over, and she goes, well, good morning. How are you? She says, I'm Ruby. And I looked at her, and I just said, well, I'm glad you came. I said, the Lord must want us here, because I said, I was ready to walk out and never come back. And she said, oh, no, no, no. By that time, she started bringing other women over and introducing us. So when Dorothy thought no one at this church wanted her here, that God was calling her someone else, Ruby Kimmelshue came up to her and in the most basic act of love introduced her. And so for that reason, we have today a picture of Ruby Kimmelshue and her husband Ed uh, on the lower left-hand corner of the altar all set up there. And to say, right, Ruby and Ed, I have heard stories of them from countless other people saying that this couple showed them that same act of hospitality and love. They were so generous with their time with everyone. Uh, Ruby Kimmelshue even taught my wife how to sew many years ago. But to say today we have Ruby, Ed, and saints that each and every one of us have put up, or maybe saints that only some of us know in our hearts, and we have created an altar in their memory. We have created a temple to the past. And creating a temple to the past is exactly what happens in the book of Haggai that we heard this morning. To say, for the past few months, we have been following the story of the Jewish people after their city of Jerusalem was destroyed and they were forcibly taken into exile in Babylon. And we've heard how they have yearned to return home to Jerusalem. And today we skip over a bunch of history real quick including when Cyrus the Great led the Persians to the east of Babylon in a revolt to overthrow the Babylonians. And having overthrown the Babylonians, Cyrus of Persia makes the first universal human 
uh, first declaration of universal human rights. And he says, look, everyone who's been a captive in Babylon can go home to whatever country it was they came from originally, and they can worship whatever gods they want to worship there. And so the Jewish people rejoice. This has been their dream for 70 years. At last, they get to go home. And so wave after wave of Jewish people return to what was a burned-down remnant of Jerusalem. And they start building the temple that they used to have, the temple that Solomon built so many years ago. They try to recreate it, and it, it takes about 16 years for them to do this. It takes 16 years because they've got all sorts of conflicts. They have conflicts with, it turns out there were people who had remained in Jerusalem when these immigrants come back from Babylon. They say, hey, we're back where this land is ours. And there's people like, no, we've been here the whole time. What are you talking about? So that didn't go over well. And then there were Samaritans who were sort of related to Jews. They get in a big old fight with the Samaritans about whether or not they can work together. And then they get in fights with themselves about how they should worship God now that they're back. Anyway, it takes them 16 long years and after 16 long years, finally, they rebuild the temple and they have this moment of dedication and they look up at this place where some of them, they've only heard stories of their grandfather telling them what it was like. And some of them were there as children and how now at last see it again for themselves. And they look at the temple and they say, didn't it used to be bigger? It's literally what it says, right? Those of you who, who saw it, is, is this as if nothing to your eyes? You can imagine there people being like, I heard Grandpa tell me this was the most incredible building he'd ever seen. That's not what this is. And you can imagine Grandpa being there saying, Yes, I saw this place when I was five years old, and it was bigger. To say we have this habit when we build temples to the past of assuming that the past is better than the, than the present, that the present can never live up to the past because the past in our minds can be perfect. We can forget all the parts we don't like and sometimes we don't want the present to live up to the past. We don't want the present to live up to the past because on some level we're afraid that if we celebrate what God is doing now in our lives, it means we have to dishonor the good that God did in our past. And that's what we see happening in our gospel lesson today with the Sadducees. So, quick history lesson. The Sadducees are a group of Jews in the first century. To say Judaism was divided back then into different groups. One of them was the Pharisees, with whom Jesus usually has his theological debates. But one of those groups is called the Sadducees. And the Sadducees, they were in charge of the temple in Jesus' day. And because they were in charge of the temple, they had essentially sold out to the Romans. But the Sadducees also had an idea to say that there is no hope for resurrection from the dead. That this life is all you get, and if you want some sort of legacy, if you want some sort of way to continue on after death, the only way to do that is to have kids. And that's what they're describing when they come to Jesus. They're describing something called the Leverite marriage, which is to say, if you believe the only way to carry on your life after death is to have kids, well, what happens if you die but you don't have kids? And the answer in the Old Testament is, well, your widow should marry your brother. 
And then if your widow has children with your brother, those kids will carry on your name even though you're dead, and that way you will have a legacy to carry on. So the Sadducees say, look, there can't be a resurrection. First of all, the Sadducees, they look at the Old Testament and they say, we don't see a mention of the resurrection anywhere in the Hebrew Scriptures, so it's not there. But furthermore, they say, look, if there is a resurrection, what that means is the future resurrection that God creates has to dishonor something in the past. And they use this example of a woman marrying seven different brothers to illustrate it. So this woman marries seven different brothers. None of them have children with her. And so the Sadducees say to Jesus, okay, if there is a resurrection, if there is a life after death, whose husband will this woman be in that future life? Because no matter which husband you say, you are dishonoring the six other husbands. There is no way to dream of a future that does not in some way dishonor the past. And so the Sadducees say, nope, there can't be a future. The best we can hope for is that you have kids to carry on your name and repeat the past. And I want to say, first of all, Ruby Kimmelshoe's got that section covered, right? There is now a a three-year-old granddaughter named Ruby carrying on her name. So praise be to God. Ed Kimmelshoe really got his basis covered on this. All four of his sons have Ed as their middle name, yeah? He's, He's really making sure his legacy is continuing, yeah? But Jesus has a response to this. He says, wait a minute. He says, you're worried about dishonoring the past, but let's take a moment and actually examine the past. And Jesus says, in this age, people marry and are given in marriage. But he says, those who are worthy of the age that is to come and of the resurrection, he says, they will be like angels. And they will neither marry nor be given in marriage, for they are children of the resurrection. They will be children of God. And what Jesus is saying is, look, In this life, if we want to have a family, we get married. Because the honest truth is, we're bad at loving people. Yeah, it's really hard to love someone. Those of you who are married know it's really hard to love someone your whole life. It's a lot of work. The person gets on your nerves at times. You have a lot of grudges and resentments that build up over the years. And so we have an institution called marriage to provide a community of support Uh, a structure to hold us accountable so that we can maybe love one person our whole life, yeah? And maybe with that one person we'll have kids and we can try to love them. But Jesus says, that's not the ideal situation. That's not what God wants, right? To say what God wants is not a repetition of the story we told today about Dorothy Nelson and Ruby Kimmelshoe. God is not hoping that in every generation there will be one lady in a congregation who after two Sundays thinks, hey, there's a new person, maybe I should go say hi. That is not the goal, right? This is a story about a whole congregation that didn't say hi to Dorothy and her husband for two whole Sundays. What we dream of is a world in which every single person says hello to Dorothy and her husband, right? In which there are no strangers in our midst because we are all one family. And that's what Jesus says the age that is to come will be like. Yes, Jesus says, 
This woman won't have to pick between one of seven husbands to whom she is going to love because in the age that is to come, we will be able to love everyone fully. We won't need that structure of marriage to say, I want my life to be united with this person for a lifetime. We will be able to say, I want my life united with each and every person for eternity. That's the dream that Jesus says. And Jesus says, look, families are great, but families are great so that we can catch a glimpse in our past of what God is preparing for the future. To say the love that we have now for a spouse and children, that it gives us a glimmer of the love that we will have for each and every person who has ever lived. And so Jesus tells us the point of looking at the past is to see how God is working in the present to prepare a future beyond our imagining. And that is what God says to the Jews in the book of Haggai when they're complaining that this temple seems smaller than the one that they remember. God says to them, take courage, work, for my presence will be with you just as it was when I brought you out of Egypt. In that moment, God is reminding the people who listened, let's take a look at what the past was really like. If you want to think the past was so great, remember your ancestors used to be slaves in the past. That's what it was like. And yet, even though they were slaves... I brought them out of slavery. And when they came out of slavery, they didn't have a mediocre temple to worship me in. They had a tent, a tent in the desert that they had to haul from place to place. And I was with them then. And not only was I with them in that tent, but I shook the nations of the world and all the gold and the silver, all the treasures of those nations fell out into the hands of your ancestors so that they could build a majestic temple. God is saying, if I could do that for your ancestors who started with nothing and I gave them an incredible temple, imagine what I can do with you who already have a halfway decent temple to start with. God is saying, look to the past to see how I am present with you now, working to create a future beyond your imagining. That is what God is saying. And for those of us who are Christians... Right? Our hope is not some physical temple that's adorned with gold and silver. No, for us who are Christians, we believe that Jesus Christ is our temple. That Jesus Christ is the place where heaven and earth meet, where God and humanity encounter each other face to face. Jesus is our temple, and we as the body of Christ are the physical expression of that temple on this earth. So when we think about what are the gold and the silver, what are the treasures that God will bring to glorify God's temple, it is the people. It is their spiritual gifts. It is their time and their talents that they bring to enrich our life together in Christ. And to say this is what Ruby Kimmelshoe did when she invited Dorothy Nelson not only to get to know her, but she invited Dorothy to be a part of this ministry. For she was in that moment like God shaking the treasures of people who weren't yet a part of God's community so that the riches of those people might enhance the life we share together with Christ. And so I want to have Dorothy tell us now how Ruby did that for her. 
And uh, within two weeks, the ladies had invited me to circle. And I said, all righty, I'll go to circle meeting and, uh, for the Bible study. And uh, the next week, uh, she says, Dorothy, she said, we need a new circle leader. She says, how about you? And I said, ah, I says, I don't do that. I says, I'm, I'm the one that lays back. And I says, uh, no, I can't do that. And she goes, oh, yes, you can. She says, how are you going to meet anybody unless you become a circle leader? And I thought, oh, boy, here we go. And she says, all you have to do is open the meeting and close it. She says, women do most of the stuff. And I go, all right, I'll give it a try. So I did. And, of course, then, then I had to learn how to say a prayer. And I never used, I, I could pray to myself, but not in a group. Um, I let Dick always lead the prayer, even with the family. Dick was always my prayer partner. And uh, so I had to learn how to say a prayer. So after I'd been in the circle for a couple of years, um, they, we went to a convention with the women. At that time, uh, the women of the church paid for us to go as a leader and uh, so I'd go to convention with a couple of gals and came back and then one of the gals came up to church that was on the board and she said we need somebody on the slate she says because we don't have a full slate for the board of um, ELCA uh, Northern Mountain Valley Conference and I says well you put me on I said nobody knows me so they're not going to so anyway, I got voted in to the, on the board, and when they asked me why, they went around and they asked everybody why they were uh, wanted to be on the board. And I said, well, I came on the board only because nobody knew me, and I said, while I am here, I said, I have no idea. I said, because I'm not good at being a secretary, because I can't spell. And I said, uh, there's a lot of things I can't do. And she says, well, the Lord has you for a reason. I said, yeah, but I haven't figured it out what it was. So I was on the board, and I was used for um, registrations for conferences. They, I would set the women up in their rooms and collect the money and then send it to the treasurer. So I got involved uh, also going to all the six churches, visiting them as women of the ELCA. So that's how I got started, and it was all Ruby gives you. When they asked me to be uh, president of our group, uh, I said, uh-uh, uh-uh. And they said, oh, Dorothy, there's no problem. We'll help you. We'll do it. You know, if you need somebody taking notes, we'll take notes. You can do it. And I thought, oh, Lord, I can't do it. You know, so I finally have learned to pray in front of people, to lead the group without being ashamed because I found out other women couldn't pronounce some of the words that I couldn't pronounce. So that's how I got started in the women of the ELCA. I was always a member in our other church, but I was one of those that sat back and when they did the Bible reading, I would say pass because I wouldn't read. But I had to learn how. Hmm. And I give it all thanks to Ruby. Hmm. We look at this picture of Ruby present on our altar. We look at this picture of the past. 
Because it shows us how God is present now. God is present now in the treasures that Ruby shook from the nations that poured out on us in the person of Dorothy. And the treasures that Dorothy still has here in this place, a woman who can pray and read scripture, who has become a leader in her own right. Each and every person who has a picture here on this altar in some way shook the treasure, treasures of this world. And those treasures are with us still in each and every single one of you, for you are God's treasures and you are here adorning God's temple. We look to the past to see how God is present with us still. But I want to say this is true not just in a metaphorical level, not just true in the lessons that the saints of old have taught us or maybe in the gifts the saints of old have given us that remain with us still. This is true in the most literal sense that when we look to the past, we see how God is present with us still. It is not just I who say this, it is Jesus. Because Jesus finishes up his conversation with the Sadducees by saying this. He says, you want to look to the past. You want to look to the scriptures of old to see whether or not there is a resurrection? Well, let's do that. Let's look to the past to see how God is present now. He says, Moses does say there's a resurrection. He says it in the incident of the burning bush. Because when Moses encounters God in the burning bush, Moses says to God, well, who are you? And God says, well, I am who I am. And, and Moses says, that's great, God, but I'm going to go and tell a lot of people that they should follow me out into the desert on the word of a God, and I need a little more to explain to them about who this God is than just that you are who you are. And God says, fine. They want to know who sends you. Tell them that the God who sends you is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And here Jesus makes a theological point from grammar. Jesus says, God didn't say, I was the God of Abraham. I was the God of Isaac. I was the God of Jacob. Jesus says, no, God says, I am. God is. God is not a God of the past tense. God is a God of the present tense. God is the God of Abraham. God is the God of Isaac. God is the God of Jacob. Because to them, to God, they are all still alive. God is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. And in that moment, what Jesus is saying is, the resurrection is not some future far, far away that we're yearning for. The resurrection is now. It is now in this moment with God. And so when we look to the people of the past, when we look to the saints on our altar, when we look at Ruby Kibbleshoe, we do so not to say, ah, let us remember all the good that God did back in the day. We do so not to say, ah, let us learn some important life lessons from them. We say it not even to say, oh, let us remember what they have given us that we still have today. We look to the past to remember that they are present with us still. They are alive in Christ, who is our great temple. It is a temple in which not only do heaven and earth meet, but past and future meet in this very moment. These saints are alive with us now. And in a little bit after worship, we will go into the parish hall and we will celebrate a potluck with all the people who sit here. But before we do that, we will have another feast, the Feast of the Eucharist, 
the Lord's Supper. And when we do, we share that feast not just with the people who are alive sitting in this room in this moment. We share that feast with every saint who has ever lived and who will ever live. For to God, they are all alive. And so, today, I want to invite you to do three things. The first one is this, is to honor Ruby by doing what she did. To take the first three minutes after worship, not just today, but going forward each Sunday, the first three minutes after worship, and instead of going and saying hello to your friends, go say hello to someone you don't know. Particularly if it looks like maybe they've never been here before, or if it looks like no one else is saying hello to them. Take three minutes, say hi to someone new, and then you have plenty of time to say hello to your friends. They'll wait for you. Let's call it the Ruby rule. Not in Ruby's memory, but in recognition that Ruby is alive with us right now, and she wants to do this, but she needs your mouth to say the words for her, all right? The second is this. In a moment, we will have time to lift up names of the saints whom we have loved. And sometimes we as Lutherans, we get real shy about saying things out loud during worship, yeah? But today... When our assisting minister, Todd, Ruby's son, invites you to name the saints, those loved ones who have died, say them loudly and lovingly. And if someone says a name at the same time you do, God will sort it out. It's okay. But the third thing I want you to do is in a moment, I'll invite you to stand and sing. And I want you, if you have a picture with you still that you haven't yet put up, put it up. But if you haven't brought a picture... Take a candle or a flower and bring it up. And even though there's not a picture there, you know the saint that flower or that light represents. And place it there on the altar so that when you come forward for communion, you know that you are sharing this feast not alone, but with all those saints who are alive and present with you now. So that when you look at these reminders of the past, you can see how God is present now working through these saints to encourage you, to pray for you, to cheer you on until we all reach that day when past, present, and future are united as one, alive in Christ. Amen.